Hi, this is Cheryl Delk, and I am with my friend Caroline Pollard. We are going to be talking about youth mental health in Oklahoma. We are hoping that you join in and listen to us because youth mental health in Oklahoma is so important. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, we are going to be exploring a variety of issues related to youth mental health in Oklahoma. And to do that, we've invited two of the experts on this subject, both with Mental Health Association Oklahoma, Caroline Pollard and Cheryl Delk. Caroline and Cheryl, welcome to the Mental Health Download. Thanks for having us on today, Matt. My name is Dr. Cheryl Delk, and I am the program coordinator for the Youth Mental Health Program. And I'm I am located in Tulsa, but I work in Oklahoma City as well with Caroline. She also works across the state with me in Tulsa. It's just really nice to have someone stationed in Oklahoma City, someone stationed in Tulsa, but we work together as a team. So we offer what we call a free youth mental health screening at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. If you go to our MHAOK.org, you can search for youth mental health. When you do that search, it brings you to a form that simply asks for your name, your phone number, your email, a little box for you to put what your concerns are, or if you just have questions, you hit submit. That comes to me, and then I contact the parent guardian who completed that form. I then call them, email them, and whichever they give, I can get a hold of them quicker. I do both. And then I ask if I can please call them at a certain time because I want to talk to them about the process. You offer it in schools, but also parents can arrange for screenings anytime through virtual means. Explain how that works. So what the youth mental health specialist does once they get the information that the parent has consented the youth mental health specialist will contact the parent and set up an appointment for a Zoom date. We ask that the parents be at home and we ask that they give their child privacy. So in their own bedroom, maybe in the living room, somewhere where they can feel comfortably private. The questions that are asked are, have you been feeling sad? Have you been feeling anxious? Have you been feeling overwhelmed? And then once it, it asks about substance use, once it goes through those questions and the next questions are about how it affects them in their daily life. So it looks at how they're feeling, how they're acting, what they're thinking, and then how does it affect their daily walk of life? And it also alludes to the question, have you ever thought about harming yourself? And if so, how long has it been since those thoughts or feelings have taken place? Knowing is is the best way to find out if they're thinking those thoughts, if they have a plan, if they have the means to go through with that plan. It's preventive. And that's what this screening is all about. It asks questions to prevent such horrific negative outcomes as the possibility of suicide. So once they go through that screening process, if they get a positive screen, then our youth mental health specialist will do a clinical interview. And I'm going to pass that to Caroline because she's actually done that clinical interview and she can speak to it more in depth. Thank you, Cheryl. I just want to reiterate that this screening tool, it's the first step. So it's just an amazing tool because children actually, once they take that screening, they sit back and say, why did my mom or dad or grandma have me sign this screening? And then once we explain to them, this is about your feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. 
this is about you, where you're at. Like you would go for a physical checkup to check to see, you know, if you were able to play sports or say you were struggling with your eyesight. This is just a screening. This is about you. So once we have the child in front of us, they actually really appreciate that time to open up and share. And the clinical interview is basically a stepping stone because the main goal is to refer that child to get them the help they need. So we're gathering information to be able to communicate that to the family to get them to the next step, that navigation piece. Yes, and that, and I think one of the things that we really do well here in this program is that we don't leave them standing alone once that screening has been completed, the clinical interview has been completed, the referral's been completed. We don't say, good luck. We're here for follow ups at two weeks, one month, and three months. One of the key factors that we found is that at the two week and the one month, parents, they feel like it's still okay, that their kiddo is doing okay enough to go on. But at three months, we've had parents say, oh my goodness, I really do need assistance. Can you still help me? And yeah, our job is to serve you and your child to help you navigate this system. There is no question that should not be asked. There is no way we're going to leave you high and dry through this journey. There are a lot of people who are reluctant to sign their kids up for this screening because they think it's an assessment to a diagnosis, and it's absolutely not that. As Caroline stated before, that's the first step. This screening is just a checkup. An assessment would come later if they were referred and they had a clinician and then they are on their journey. They've met their clinician. They're on their journey. It's such a non-invasive first step to the road of a more positive mental health, not only for the student, but the family as well. We're a system. Everything that happens in our family, even our influences in the outside world affect how we interact in our familial system. If one part of the starter on the car doesn't work, the whole car is not going to work correctly. So we can't just isolate one person in that system. We are helping the entire family walk through this process. All right. So Caroline, as Cheryl mentioned, you've been screening young people for many years, and I'm sure there's lots of students that you recall. And one of them that you've actually shared with me is the story of Mia. And so if if you could share that, share the story of Mia and her dad with our audience. One day I was at a school and I was um, screening at the high school level and I screened a young lady. Her name was Mia. And I've actually screened Mia and her two other siblings years prior. So Mia was comfortable with me. Mia knew who I was. So we went through the process of the screening and Mia reported to me that she was having active thoughts of harm. And we talked about that for you know quite a while to figure out what we needed to do today. And Mia said she was struggling and she said she had a plan. And she said she was struggling with a lot of hopelessness, just sadness. And she was in a really difficult place. And she said she had a counselor prior to the screening, but they lost contact. So after talking quite a bit longer, Mia needed immediate care. She could not go home that day. So I was able to work with the school counselor to get in contact with dad. And then we pulled in another party to have a further assessment to determine what Mia needed to do and 
have that process started because she was in a really difficult place. And it was determined at that time that Mia would need higher level of care. And she did get treatment and uh, medication. And I kept in contact with dad for, you know, several months after the process. And he was extremely appreciative and thankful. Every year, he would do, fill out the form to complete the screening. And this was the year that Mia needed the assistance. She was going through, you know, a difficult time. And her comfort level during the screening opened up that she was like, I need help. When she was asked the question, are you having thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself? She responded, yes, because she wanted help. And we were able to provide that for her. And the family wound up getting counseling for Mia. And then the father started to participate in family counseling as well. Oh, that's wonderful. I just appreciate everything that you and Cheryl do and all of our mental health association staff do to change and save lives of young people in Oklahoma. And again, the details about the youth mental health screening and all of the services that we offer are at mhaok.org. So Cheryl, let's start with the question of what does prevailing data show about how the pandemic has affected children and youth mental health? So some of the data that's out there is showing some increases, such as from April to June of last year, adults and and youth reporting increased symptoms of depression and anxiety in just those few short months increased to 13.9%. That's a lot. That's a huge percentage in just that amount of time. That data came from the CDC. The thing that we're seeing for us is we're having teachers reach out and talk about how their students are struggling. They're not checking in to their classes online. And they're talking about students who have always been avid academic students. The pandemic has really took a toll on youth who are so used to being active and driven and goal setting as well as students who are meek and quiet and they're goal-driven too, but you just really don't see them being boisterous about it. They're just, it's like, I can't take anymore and I'm just going to back out of living my daily life. You see them sleeping more or sleeping less. You see them avoiding face-to-face interactions with family. They're just not checking into life like they used to. Teenage years are hard years anyway, with all the developmental aspects, hormonal and growth and puberty and thinking your parents are the enemy and your peers are the greatest people ever, to adding a pandemic. Youth today are seeing something that my generation, the generation after me, did not live through. So as adults, we can't speak to it. And just being able to be mindful of that can help, but it's been challenging for youth. It really has. Things like the prom, graduation ceremonies, those milestone events were just taken. There wasn't even time for a grieving process. There's a thing called ambiguous loss. Uh, There's a famous researcher who coined that term. Her name is Pauline Boss, and it's a loss not defined by death. So things are still present people are still present, but you don't have access to them or the ability to complete that. Like it's just gone. 
the people are there that desire to do the prom or the graduation. It's still there, but you don't get to participate in it. You can't speak to the the ability to say, oh, I did that. I lived that. It was great. That is ambiguous loss, a loss not defined by death. And that's what the youth are facing with all these milestones not being able to be accomplished. And I can speak to that. I remember March 12th, like it was yesterday. I was at a school in Oklahoma City with another screener. It was a Thursday. Friday the 13th was supposed to be the last day of school before spring break. And we're walking down the hall to get the last student for the day. And we heard her over the loudspeaker from the principal, clean out your lockers. You're going to get an extra day for spring break. And I remember that. And I remember talking to the screener, thinking, what's going on? That feeling that I felt, when will we be back? And I imagined that we would be back in two weeks. That didn't happen. Just a loss that we didn't expect or we didn't have time to process. The relationships with the kids, like Cheryl said, the prom, graduation, sports, everything just suddenly stopped. So that day is forever embedded in my mind. So I can imagine how the kids felt cleaning out their locker. And now they're only going into school a year later, not weeks, but a year. Yeah, my 13-year-old daughter started school yesterday. And she goes twice a week to her school. She's in the seventh grade. And uh, yesterday was the first day of school. It was very strange. But she was excited. She was exhausted by the end of the day. But I do worry about her and I worry about her classmates and everybody who's in schools right now. School's hard enough. Junior high's hard enough. You add all of these other aspects and it's just, it's a lot. As a parent, I get asked by other parents because they know where I work and they're like, what, you know, websites do you recommend or who should I call? They don't know what to do when they need to get help for their child. I'm going to turn that question to both of you and we'll start with Cheryl. Where would you direct people? I would first direct them to the Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. We do have an assistance line, an assistance line that can lead to other venues as well as mental health, the mental health journey, because a lot of times there are more things happening in families' lives than just one thing. Also, you can go to a website called psychology.com and you can type in your address or your zip code in your city and it will pull up professional clinicians and it gives like their name, of course, but what they specialize in. A lot of times we don't know how to pick a clinician. So the first thing that you would probably want to do is find an assessment center. And a lot of those community-based agencies do have clinicians who specialize in assessments to find out what your diagnosis is. And you can also stay there and see that clinician, or you can move to a different clinician. The key factor is to find out where your insurance will provide payment. So when we do screenings and we do referrals, one of the things that we do is we make sure we know the insurance carrier, but we've had families who don't have insurance. And so we try to find those agencies that do a sliding scale fee, or they offer so many free services. The key is to not feel frustrated and give up. If you feel frustrated, contact someone, whether it be Mental Health Association, Oklahoma through the Assistance Center or your school counselor would be able to help if you or your child are having mental health 
concerns, you can text 741-741 and somebody will text you right back. They will make arrangements to possibly call you and get you on the road to finding someone who can be a clinician for you. Nice. Caroline, do you have any resources that you recommend? 211 is an awesome resource because they have a data bank that you know they update and generate daily and you can text. They also have it where you can look it up on the computer yourself. Another good number to call would be the statewide children's mobile response. So that's 1-833-885-2274. So that's the statewide children's mobile response. And then in Tulsa, they have Tulsa Copes for Kids, which is 918-744-4800. And then also any community mental health agency um, will be able to help you and assist you. And like I said, 211 is probably the best place to start unless it's a crisis, then call the crisis number. But 211 will help you find a place based on your zip code and location. As Cheryl also mentioned, if you have private insurance, psychology today, because you're able to read the profiles of the individuals if you're looking for an LPC, MSW. So it gives you a little bit more of the ability to read the profile if you think it would be a good fit. And again, I'll direct people to, like Caroline and Cheryl mentioned, the Mental Health Assistance Center at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. You can call that number Monday through Friday. It's 918-585-1213. And the other number is 405-943-3700. And of course, like I've mentioned, you can go to our website, which is mhaok.org. All right. So as we close things out here, Caroline and Cheryl, thank you so much for being here with us. As is tradition here, we have the guests share their last bit of wisdom to close us out. Cheryl, let's start with you. Okay. I think my last bit of wisdom is just to not be afraid to reach out if you're a parent or a youth. It's just so important. And you don't have to reach out to us. Reach out to someone that you trust, someone that supports you and let them help you find what you're looking for via websites or phone calls or text messages. One of the saddest things is to be afraid to reach out and then the the outcome is a negative outcome, a finalized preventable suicide. We want to encourage you as parents to be proactive and it's scary, but it's worth it. And there are people out there ready to help. They're available. That's their purpose in life is to help people navigate a system that they may be unfamiliar with. Please don't be afraid to reach out. Beautiful. All right, Caroline, close us out. I'm going to reiterate what Cheryl said, and especially during COVID and how we adapted our virtual screening. I just say to parents, and I say to Cheryl, like daily, click the link to have your child screened. It's just, it will give you, you know, peace of mind if you're worried about your teenager. Teenagers typically don't talk to their parents or their guardians. That's just the way it is. So to have that peace of mind, is my daughter 
isolating? Is she struggling with sadness? Is she struggling with relationships? It just gives you that peace of mind. And like Cheryl said earlier, it's non-invasive. It takes about 10, 15 minutes. It's a screening and it'll take you to the next step to determine if you need further services. Everybody right now is struggling in one way or another. We've been in isolation for you know over a year now, and this will just give you a peace of mind to know that this is typical teenage behavior, or maybe my daughter or son is struggling with something deeper. So my last words are click the link. It's free and it takes 10, 15 minutes and it will give you a little peace of mind.